Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Where do we get wisdom from? And would we know it if we saw it? Socrates said, the only true wisdom is in knowing you know nothing. Shakespeare said, the fool doth think he is wise, but the wise man knows himself to be a fool. Sugar said, that's Lord Sugar to you and I, I am not looking for a friend. If I wanted a friend, I'd buy a dog. Where do we get wisdom from? And would we know it if we saw it? In the passage that we've just heard from the letter of James, he's very concerned that his readers get wisdom. And that's actually uh, a theme that's right the way through the Bible. As we get to know James, as we go through it, we start to realize that the places in the Bible that he's leaning on for what he's saying is firstly, Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount, but also the book of Proverbs. And it says that right there, Proverbs 4 verse 5, get wisdom. Now, James is not advocating that we accept anything that has the appearance of wisdom. He's not advocating we necessarily stencil live, laugh, love on our kitchen walls. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, what he's interested in is a more robust help through the difficult times of life. And that's why we've called our series Resilient. We don't know all the details. But it's likely that James was someone who led his church through a time of famine, of poverty, and also of persecution. He led through dark times with courage and with wisdom. James was not some sort of chin-stroking philosopher. He was very much a wartime consigliere. And he was eventually murdered by the church's persecutors around 62 AD. And so through wisdom that comes from God, James learned to be resilient. He had to. And he taught his people to live according to that same wisdom. And that's what this book is really all about. And it's also why that's ex- it's exceptionally relevant to us today. James is speaking to people who are facing hardship, who are facing grief, who are facing poverty, who are facing loneliness, or who also might have also had wealth and success and everything in between, the stuff of life. And we can meet those challenges with naivety or we can meet them with wisdom. It's what James wants to help us with today. So in the passage that we've just heard, James is teaching about wisdom. And and really what he's saying is, is quite simple. It's simple, but it's also profound. And he says there's two types of wisdom. 
this wisdom that comes from above and this wisdom from below or worldly wisdom. And the worldly wisdom is appealing to us. But what James says, it leads to jealousy, selfish ambition, disorder and every vile practice. On the other hand, there is wisdom from above, God's wisdom. And that leads to peace, gentleness, mercy and a harvest of righteousness. So here's our choice. Which one do you want to go for? You want to go for the every vile practice option or the harvest of righteousness option? (laughs) Tough choice, eh? If only it were that simple. Let me return to the questions I asked at the beginning. Where do we get wisdom from? And would we know it if we saw it? Even if we answer the first one as, well, yeah, I want the wisdom from above. That sounds good. But how do we answer the second question? How do we discern what that type of wisdom is? How do we identify good wisdom, helpful wisdom, godly wisdom? Well, there's a few ways that you could answer that question. But I guess the most obvious way, first of all, is to say, well, God's wisdom, this wisdom from above, is found in the Bible. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to listen to what Jesus has said. And what Jesus has said is in this book, the Word of God, the Bible. Now, it's wisdom that comes to us in some places, like in Proverbs and pithy sayings, but in other places, through stories and through people. And often it's through, by example, of what not to do. And so we must read it carefully. It's wisdom that comes to us through a people and a time that is very different to our own. So when we're working to understand it, we must realize that to how we interpret it well and how we apply it to our lives. Now, that takes some work and it takes some careful study and careful reading. But at the same time, it is wisdom for us. Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And here at Emmanuel, we we take on that attitude to God's word, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And so here we're, we're not embarrassed by the Bible. We don't apologize for the Bible. It's not irrelevant. None of it can be dismissed. We we believe it and we proclaim it as God's words in its entirety. And not only that, we live under its authority. And as elders, we want to lead you according to that authority, not according to our opinions, but we want to bring God's word to you to shape your lives. And so I want to say, if, if, if ever a preacher stands here and says, well, the Bible says this, but here's what I want to tell you instead. You leave this church. You leave. <laughs> Why would you want someone's opinion when you could have God's word? Now, we are to bring God's word to you. The Bible again and again says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's his word. And so the best Advice that I can give you is submit your life to God and his word. Proverbs 3 verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Now to do that, 
you, you have to read the Bible. You know, there's two options here that that verse talks about. Trusting God's wisdom or leaning on your own understanding. If you're not in God's word, you cannot trust in him. You don't know what he says. And if you're in that place, you're going to automatically lean on your own understanding. If you don't read the Bible, you're doing the opposite of that verse. What would that sound like? Trust in yourself with all your heart and do not lean on God's understanding. That kind of sounds vaguely familiar. (laughs) Trust in yourself with all your heart. Believe in yourself. Trust your gut. I think we hear that message quite a lot. The Bible says the opposite. No, trust in God. Let God's wisdom shape your life and shape your mind and shape your heart every day. Read the Bible. Read it on your own. Read it with friends. Listen to the Bible. Get good resources that are going to help you understand the Bible. Read books that will help you to grasp hold of the truth of the Bible. Why should you do that? Well, because it's the thing that Christians ought to do. No, because you need it. You and I, we need God's wisdom. Have the humility to accept that. Place yourself under God's word every day. Okay, so we read the Bible, but is that the only thing we need to have in order to live by wisdom? Well, it's kind of tricky because we're going to face situations in life and we might turn to the Bible for wisdom, but we realize the Bible's not like Google. (laughs) It's not like WikiHow. Have you ever been on that website? quite interesting it gives instruction to like loads of stuff some of it a bit weird but loads of stuff I actually looked it up for this uh, sermon there's actually a page on how to gain wisdom it's fine it's it's, it's okay you feel free to read it but the Bible's not quite like that because you might say say here's an example Say you're in a situation where maybe you're coming into end of your undergraduate degree and you're thinking, well, what should I do as, uh, in the next step of my life? I need wisdom for that. You know, should I go off to London and work in a finance broker or whatever? Or should I do a master's in international development? Okay. Well, Matt said, read the Bible. That's where we get our wisdom from. Okay, okay. What's the Bible plan for today? Right. Proverbs for today. Proverbs 14, verse 4. Where there are no oxen... The manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Okay, so strength of the ox. Is that the finance broker option? Oh, but it also says no oxen. Maybe that's the development one. Okay, that verse is not going to help you answer that question. But yes, we read the Bible, but God's wisdom does not necessarily mean there's no wisdom elsewhere. In this example, what you should do is you should talk to your friends. You should talk to family members. You should pray about it. You should talk to your pastor. You should think about it. Maybe speak to people that have taken those two options and think about what might be a good fit for you. And in fact, the Bible actually itself advocates this. Proverbs 11 verse 14, in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. So wait a minute, is this inconsistent? Isn't James warning us against wisdom of the world? Well, not necessarily, 
Why? Well, because God is the author of the Bible. But the Bible also tells us that God is the author of all things. He created everything. And his wisdom is actually in the world. He made the plants, he made people, he made the natural world. He also made logic and reason and beauty and creativity and the natural laws that we observe in the world. And so a Christian is not someone who thinks wisdom can only be found in the Bible, but that wherever wisdom, true wisdom is found, it has God's fingerprints on it. Now take, for example, that quotation from Socrates that I mentioned at the beginning. The only true wisdom is in knowing you know nothing. Should we reject that immediately? Well, no, let's consider it. Is it helpful? Is it wise? Actually, in this example, it seems to correlate quite well with what we've already seen from the book of Proverbs, that wisdom requires humility. And so where it's not inconsistent with the Bible, we can actually receive it and it can be helpful to us. But there's the million dollar question, isn't it? How, how do we know? How do we know whether our friend's counsel is going to be that good wisdom or not? How do we know what we read in a book or read online or what a vlogger or a podcaster tells us is actually going to be good and helpful wisdom to us? rather than unhelpful to us. Well, this is exactly what James wants to help us with. How to tell the difference. So let's get more into this passage. And what we see is that James flips the conversation around from the abstract to the personal. James is not interested in talking about people out there. He's interested in the heart of me and you. You see, we live in a time where we have access to information, to knowledge, to wisdom that is greater, far greater than any other previous generation. The internet has just changed everything in that respect. Whatever you're doing, whatever decision you have to make, whatever you want to try and navigate through in life, you can, a few clicks away, get an answer to that. Get information, get a video that's going to show you, it's going to give you what you need. It's going to help you. And some, lots of that is really helpful. It's a privilege to have that access to that type of information. But we have so much of that knowledge and that wisdom and that information. And we ask the question, has it been helpful to us? Yeah. Has it made us happier and better people? Has it lifted society to a new place, a zenith, where we have learned from all the mistakes of the past? We can look at all the mistakes of the past. We can learn those lessons straight away and we can come to a place where we get on with one another in peace and harmony and a new age of society. It's not really where we are, is it? I don't know about you, but when I see the world... I still see people who are anxious, who are worried, who are stressed, who are insecure. All this wisdom hasn't really helped us that much. And I don't believe that's just because of the pace of life has got quicker and quicker. No, I believe what James actually is diagnosing in this passage is helpful to us to understand what is going on. 
Because what James is saying, it's, it's not so much the information. It's the way we pursue wisdom that actually has the power to bring out the worst in us. You see, James begins this passage by saying, who is wise and understanding among you? And that kind of sounds like a rhetorical question, but it's also quite a cutting question. Because he's asking you to realize the answer is you. <laughs> Who is wise and understanding among you? You, you are. <laughs> we all like to be wise and understanding. We all like to think of ourselves in that way. We all like opportunities where we're the wisest one in the room, where people are coming to us to gain the benefit of our wisdom and experience. You know, maybe we might not recognize, we don't, might not think of ourselves as the most intelligent person, but when there's an opportunity to be the wise one, <laughs> we love that. When we see mistakes of, oh, they've done that, oh, I wouldn't do that. When someone in our social settings, you know, perhaps explains a problem, a situation they've got themselves into, and it's something that we have also previously experienced, but actually we navigated quite well. Let me, let me tell you about that. Let me tell you why we love those opportunities. When we get some information where we are in the know, maybe some gossip or something that makes us feel we know something that other people don't know. Huh. We like that. We like the idea of being wise, of being understanding, might not be intellectual, not, it might just be knowing something that other people don't. And people being impressed with our insights, whether that's at the school gate, whether it's in the staff room, whether that's down the pub at the weekend. Oh, let me tell you how I handled my money. Oh, you got that problem with your kids. Well, this is what we did. And it really helped. Oh, this is how you navigate that situation with your boss. I, I, I can tell you about that. We're looking for that edge. Why? Because we like to look impressive. We like to look wise. But when it comes to wisdom, James is putting his finger on the real issue. He's saying it's not about the information. It's about the heart attitude. The heart attitude behind that pursuit of wisdom. And that can get you into real trouble because he's saying here wisdom with selfish ambition leads to jealousy and disorder and every vile practice what an indictment on our culture you know I, I don't actually watch uh, the the apprentice it's fine absolutely fine uh, if you do but I think what's part of that I think it was part of often uh, we, a narrative in society as a whole is that to be successful means to be ruthless. To get on in this world, you have to be tough. You have to be self-interested. You have to set your goal on what you want and pursue it, no matter what. If I wanted a friend, I'd buy a dog. <laughs> I want that, so I'm going to get that. I'm not here to make friends. And that's a similar messaging that often gets given, especially to uh, younger people. You know, follow your dream. It's the individualistic society that we live in promotes this selfishness. Pursue your dream. G decide what you want to do. Express yourself the way you think is right. Do you do you. And other people that might speak against you, well, let the haters hate. You do you. The world 
says selfish ambition is the solution. The Bible here says selfish ambition is the problem. <laughs> it's the problem. A world of jealousy, comparison and selfish ambition. I think actually James describes the Instagram generation quite well here, don't you? No, I'm not saying it's all bad, some cesspit of ungodliness, but, but James is warning us. He's warning us about pursuing wisdom with a wrong attitude. He's warning us about comparison. He's warning us about jealousy. He's warning us about selfishness. And so I'm warning you, check your heart. Check your attitude. You want to be wise? Why? Is there selfish desire going on there? Yeah. It's in you. It's in me. It's there. It's real. And James says it's destructive. James puts the warning in very severe terms. What he describes is a downward trajectory. Look at the language that he used. He says, you know, that type of pursuing wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Whoa, James, that's a bit harsh. Is it? Is it a bit harsh? Or is that actually what happens? You know, let's think of it in terms of an example here. We want wisdom. We want self-improvement, perhaps. We want success. We want to get the edge. We want to be wise. We don't want to be fools. And at first it can seem quite innocent. Maybe we're trying to get wisdom for our career or in relationships or in parenting or, or just in a hobby, just in a sport. We just want to get some wisdom. We just want to get the edge on people. You know, so we might read a few blogs and listen to a few podcasts, buy some things that are going to help us out. You know, we can, we can do this. You know, a guy can get taken to the golf course for the first time by his colleague and then the next morning he's like, buy a hundred pound worth of clubs because he's like, right, I'm, I'm, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. He's down the driving range at 5 a.m. the next week because he's like, right, I want to get the edge here. He's lying awake at night, midnight, scrolling through his phone, watching little videos, getting the technique, trying to improve. I want this wisdom. It's going to help me. You say, is that wrong? Is that wrong? Well, not on the surface. But it's earthly if it's not submitted to God in heart attitude. And left unchecked, those desires will lead to unspirituality, says James. Because actually seeking wisdom can lead to an obsession. It can start to take over. And perhaps in our example here, it starts to take over. The morning devotion, the devotional life of this guy, well, it's kind of replaced. He kind of just zooms down to the driving range instead. His routines get out. And maybe he's not quite as engaged with his kids or with his family because he's like browsing for new golf shoes on his phone. It seeps in. It seeps in. He's less engaged. And he can justify it. Well, we all need a hobby, don't we? You know, I, I work hard. I work hard for this family. I provide, don't I? You know, I'm not playing golf on Sunday. We're still in church on Sundays. But what has been started as just an earthly thing not submitted to God, a desire becomes un 
unspiritual. And that unspirituality starts to leak out. It starts to be, becomes more easily frustrated. He's not in God's word. He's not grounded in that. He's less patient. He's less gracious. And when he misses that putt on the 18th, unspiritual language seeps out. Okay, earthly. Okay, spiritual. But demonic? Well, just wait till he gets into the car with his colleague who's like, ah, oh, too bad. Too bad you missed that part. The- you would have had me there. And our golfing guy's like, oh, I hate this guy. Oh, you, you hate him. Because this wasn't just about a hobby, was it? This was about you. You didn't just want to play and enjoy it. You wanted to be the best. You wanted to be better than him. That's why you pursued this wisdom. That's why you became obsessed with this. But that's where you end up when you pursue wisdom in a way that's disconnected to God. When you pursue wisdom with selfish ambition, what creeps in is that jealousy and even hatred. That's, that's demonic. That's wrong. That is evil. Now, probably you don't play golf. You don't play golf, but you do something. And it might be a different hobby. It might be in your work setting, in your career. It might even be a role at church or the fact that you're a parent amongst other parents or a friend or a brother or a sister. And that desire to want to be in the know, that desire to want to be wise and be impressive to other people, that can start off seemingly innocent, but leads to a very dark place. In those contexts, you will be tempted to seek wisdom for selfish gain. And James says, catch it. Catch it. Catch your heart. Catch that attitude. Address it before you head down that slippery slope. The wisdom is not the information. The wisdom is in the attitude of the heart that receives it. Oh God, help us. Help us. Because all of us have got this wisdom wrong. We've made it about us. We all, when we honestly appraise our own hearts, recognize that there is selfish ambition, even jealousy and comparison in there. Well, thank God it's not the only wisdom that James talks about in this passage. You see, we need wisdom that changes our heart. We need wisdom that saves, that rescues, that heals. We need wisdom that forgives. We need a wisdom that is full of mercy. And the good news of the Bible is that the wisdom from above did not stay above, but he came down. He came down to a sinful world where people like me and you were proud and wise in our own eyes. That's what it says, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 24. Christ, Jesus Christ, Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. 
Isn't this a wonderful description of Jesus here from James in verse 17? He's just he's describing Jesus. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Have you met Jesus? Do you know what he's like? Do you know how he treats people? Like this. Gently, with peace, full of mercy, sincere. You see, the world wants to talk about wisdom as head knowledge, things that we can know, ways that we can get the edge. James and Jesus want to talk about the heart. What's going on in there? Is the selfish ambition in there? Is the jealousy? If so, you're not going to have any peace. You're going to be forever striving. James wants us to bring our hearts to Jesus because he reminds us Jesus is full of mercy. Yes, Jesus humbles the proud, but then he lifts up the humble. What Jesus wants to bring in our lives is a harvest of righteousness. But that begins when we bring our hearts to him and receive his forgiveness, receive his gentleness, receive his love. That's why the wisdom from above came down, so that we might receive that forgiveness. That's why he's died on the cross, so we might be forgiven of sin. And his power comes to us by this spirit to bring healing, to bring change, to bring restoration and soften our hearts. He's the wisdom from above, gentle and full of mercy. Jesus, let me pray. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you so much. You've come. Lord, we want to say, come as we bring our hearts to you. May we find you full of mercy to bring healing and forgiveness in your name. Amen. Amen.